0: Welcome to Smart Amazing Conversations with Dr. Nancy, a podcast that takes a look at stories of life and leadership for smart, amazing women and men like you. The way I can give support to the world right now
1: is by showing up. Uh, The most important thing is don't think just that you have to bring anything, bring yourself, show up. If you are in a position of leadership and a position of management, bring women along with you
0: supporting women is dr nancy's passion and her purpose and talking with other women and men who promote women's leadership is one of her favorite things to do
2: i have yet to meet a woman who did not know what she really wanted she was just i afraid to ask the questions or she was afraid of what the answers meant
0: their stories connect us and help us understand that the possibilities are endless if we support each other and lift other women up.
1: Trust is created by persistent identity.
2: I show up in my conversations, I build a relationship, I show up as myself time and time and time again, and trust is built. It's one conversation at a time.
0: Ashley Avis is an award-winning writer, director, editor with five completed features under her belt. She's also a passionate advocate for horses and is founder and president of the Wild Beauty Foundation. Ashley's most recent documentary feature, Wild Beauty, Mustang Spirit of the West, is a journalistic expose into the corruption befalling wild horses. The film has been called groundbreaking, and in addition to receiving a special congressional commendation in 2023, was just released by Gravitas Ventures and is available on Amazon, iTunes, and other platforms. Ashley is currently in post-production on The Lamb, marking her as the first Western woman ever to helm a film in Saudi Arabia. Previously, Ashley wrote, directed, and edited the reprisal of the classic Black Beauty for Disney+, Plus, starring Kate Winslet and Mackenzie Foy. Now, here's Dr. Nancy and her guest, Ashley Avis.
1: Hello, how are you? <laughs> Hi, Dr. Nancy, I'm doing great. How are you? This is, a, this is wonderful. Ashley and I have met uh, several times, and she recently came to Southern California Equestrian Center and spent the night, spent the evening with her and her lovely, wonderfully ha- handsome husband, Ed. He's delightful, by the way. He looks like a, a great partnership. All right, well, let's stop. I want to start talk, talking about you and you personally, because you know uh, i i know we talked a little bit about your parents uh, one of your parents is a lawyer the other person your other parent is a doctor and you're a filmmaker so <laughs> how did you get to be you because again you had no doubt influences from two highly educated parents and here you are a, a filmmaker so anyway let's how how did that happen I always wanted to be a writer
2: from from the age that I feel like I could, you know, start writing my own short stories and and was beginning to read some wonderful novels that were influential in my youth. I read a lot of Hemingway with my dad. And and I also read a lot of the great equestrian themed books like The Black Stallion by Walter Farley, The Black Beauty, obviously by Anna Sewell. And I just, that was always it. It was a sense of knowing from a very young age that I wanted to write. And it's interesting how life, you know, shapes you and ebbs and flows and takes you in different directions. But throughout my childhood, I thought I would become a novelist. And then I I worked as a journalist in New York City when I was in college. And I thought that would be it for a little while. And then I began uh, an internship while I was in Manhattan for a, a feature film production company. And that's when I discovered screenplays. And as a lover of poetry, when I read my first screenplay, It it was another one of those moments where you know your life is about to change, where I thought this is exactly the type of writing that I want want to do, this feels like poetry, I had no idea at the time that I would want to become a director, so I think I was 18 or 19 at this point in starting to read some of those screenplays. And so I saved up some money in New York, I graduated from college, I moved out to Los Angeles and I started writing some of my own work and eventually saved up some money to produce what's called a spec pilot, not something that a studio has ordered, it's just something that you put together on your own in the hopes of selling it or as a proof of concept. And so I put that together at 22, 23, And I was doing so many different odd jobs at the time. I was working in real estate. I was flipping furniture on Craigslist. I ran a web design company, which ended up really helping my technical background in film as an editor as well. And through all of those odd jobs, I was able to put together enough money to create a shoot for my first television spec. And it got seen by the founder of Lionsgate. And that was just a moment of serendipity or fate and he thought it was funny and he ended up um championing that project and then he hired me to uh to direct a classical music documentary which wasn't feature length it was about 40 minutes or so but that person really gave me uh, you know we need champions in life my dad says that a lot and yeah. he was the first um professional champion that gave me a shot
1: and that's when I realized I wanted to not only write but but produce and direct yeah, we uh, having a mentor, someone in our lives that just stands up and goes, "Hey, I think you've got it. I think you could do this. Let's do this," you know. And I think that's so very important. But uh, you know, and, and since then, oh my gosh, the the credits and the things that you've done—you were the first Western women, first first of many women, first but the first Western women to do a film in Saudi Arabia. That's a that's a pretty big deal because that country is. Uh, It's not truly a place for women. It was ultimately, I wanted to go, well, let me back up. The
2: script was sent to me by a wonderful producer that I I really trust. who's become a mentor to both myself and my husband, Ed. He produced Black Beauty and Jeremy Bolt is his name. And he sent us this beautiful script about a year and a half ago called The Lamb about a little boy who loses his mother to cancer. And he falls in love and in friendship with an orphan lamb that similarly lost its mother. And he goes across the Arabian desert trying to save the orphan lamb over Eid, where they traditionally eat lamb like we do Turkey over Thanksgiving. And um, so he's, he's on a quest to reach the capital city of Riyadh, which his mother was supposed to be treated there and she never made it. So he thinks of it as Oz. If he can just get the lamb there, she'll be okay. And so it's a it's a really stunning story. And I think has a lot of beautiful universal themes, which is what attracted me to it. I really believe in animal empathy and, and the messages of compassion toward animals as well as each other. So it really fit within what, what I believe in and what I was looking for. And then of course there was the adventure and the challenge of going over to a place that, Film is brand new over there. It's only been an industry in recent years, and so that was an additional challenge that was exciting as well as a little daunting. Um, But it was ultimately it was a great experience. There's talent everywhere, and that's something. Having shot internationally in Cape Town, and you know, I always, I think, I believe, and it's, I feel like it's very true. Talent is everywhere, and we were able to find this miraculous eight-year-old boy named Aziz to play this this child, and. The landscapes were incredible and mentorship for women is something that I've done for a a long time and believe in very much. And it was very important to me in a brand new industry in Saudi to also make sure if film is kicking off there, let's kick it off right. Because we certainly didn't kick it off right in Hollywood. We're just having this surge of diversity and women in the director's chair, diverse voices. And so why not start that over there from the ground up? And so There was a lot of support for for that. And we had a a number of women on set, my cultural consultant, brilliant woman, um, uh, just a number of female producers on the project. So I think the the main challenges we really faced were when there was uh, shooting in a remote location with, you know, sometimes the infrastructure isn't quite there yet and just trying to navigate those challenges. But you find that really on on every project, you know, there are always unexpected things. So, but we're very proud of the
1: film and I'm excited for a global audience to be able to see it. Well, I can't wait for that to come out. Well, let's go back to how we, how you and I met. Yeah. I think that's, that's again, one of the big reasons because we're both equestrians. You used to ride also. You were a, a hunter jumper. Uh, I'm a, a gated uh, Arabian driving, riding uh, equestrian. So we do have that background, which is uh, always an con- absolute connector. But uh, again, we met because of Wild Beauty Mustang Spirit of the West. This was an unbelievable documentary uh, about wild horses. Uh, We met, I think, a year before I actually saw the movie and began to learn more about what you were doing, why you were doing what you were doing, and saw some of the documentary and was just totally blown away. And that's what goes on in our world. What we don't know, what we don't see, what we don't read about. And we can't do anything about. So the 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 key is awareness. Is the key is to create a platform for people to see what's going on in the real world, and how how it could be affecting them as well. But uh, you know, horses have been in our history. Since the very beginning of time, what was it you were talking about? Someone's trying to prove that basically the horse was has evolved from from the ice age, but it evolved definitely from the time of the dinosaurs into what it's become today. But they've been in our history, as far as travel, as far as as far as commerce, but also as far as wars. I mean, we we've, we've needed horses, and we have this these amazing herds of wild horses. That run in different different states throughout our country that are not being protected as they should be. And uh, land management is is a real, real uh, issue. but uh, again, wild beauty, mustang spirit of the West, really brought all this to the to the forefront. And um, you know one of the things I said to people when they were watching the film, I said, don't look away.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's
1: hard, it really is hard to watch what what human beings, do to animals i i just i can't understand it i just don't understand it but talk about how that began for you because this is your your foundation of course the founder of wild beauty foundation is so key to to raising funds and awareness but how did this all begin it's amazing how
2: life comes back to you full circle i mean i've said this before it's and it's beyond serendipitous that one of the first novels I read about horses was Black Beauty. And that was the novel that inspired me to ask my parents for riding lessons when I was seven years old. And so when I was getting my career, taking the next step in my career, I should say, I I directed three independent films, hundreds of commercials, trying to take that next step into the studio system with bigger budgets, bigger projects. I ended up taking what's called a general meeting in, in our business where you just meet a producer and you hope something happens. Usually something doesn't, but you know, one out of these 50, I would say, maybe something does. And in this instance, it did. I met Jeremy Bolt, who I mentioned earlier, and we sat in his office and talked about films that inspired us to go into the business. And I mentioned The Black Stallion and the scene on the beach with Alec and the Black and that being so cinematically beautiful, but being a moment without any dialogue just set to score about this mysterious and deeply beautiful connection humans can have with horses. And he smiled and he said, my partner and I have wanted to remake Black Beauty for 10 years. If you have a take, let me know. And I ran home and in in 10 days, I sent him a 40 page long pitch document with an idea for a story and images and, and inspiration. And it was one of those things that was just, I feel like meant to be. It was the right time. It was the right project, the right people. And that's that project went very quickly. It was three years and I think a week from first meeting to release on Disney+. Plus, and in our business, that's wildly fast. And and so in being tasked with modernizing Black Beauty, few people know that Anna Sewell actually wrote Black Beauty as an animal welfare plea for the horses of her time, the cab horses and the carriage horses, in a time where we didn't recognize Animals, particularly horses, as the empathetic and and very deeply feeling and intelligent creatures that they are, and she really wanted to change that. And so, in trying to find a modern day theme for our Black Beauty, I began looking at modern day issues horses were facing. And when I came across the plight of wild horses, and I've said this before, I, I felt such an extraordinary sense of guilt that as a horse person in my youth, I didn't know that this was happening in the Western United States. And so I'm. I very much went down the rabbit hole of just going all in on the issue, learning as much as I could. And in black beauty, we, my husband and I ended up raising a little bit of independent financing to go out and film real wild horses to put that footage in black beauty, because we wanted to show the authenticity of of wild horses and how they interact and their the different colors and just the, the differences in the, in wild horses versus domestic horses. And it was in that first trip, and this was about four years ago at this point, four or five years ago, where we went out to the, film the beauty of wild horses in Wyoming and, and Utah, and then we went to Nevada and filmed a roundup. And sitting on top of that mountain in 100 degree heat, where the Bureau of Land Management was allowing the helicopter to round the horses up beyond the temperatures that they're supposed to, and seeing the nature of how the contractors... I mean, these helicopters are acrobatic. It's almost like they're having fun when they chase the horses, in my opinion, in witnessing that. And and to drive a flight animal at eye level with a chopper for miles and forcing these horses to run multiple Kentucky Derbies, terrified, breaking their legs, breaking their necks. Babies got trampled in that roundup. Um, It was just so horrifying to see. And I had never felt the sensation that I had in my chest that, that day. It was just a different type of heartbreak. And I was so angry. And in realizing, as you said earlier, the lack of awareness, it's hard to get the media out to these roundups because they're very remote. The Bureau of Land Management has done an extremely good job at disinformation and misinforming the public. And in 2020, and I, I hope I'm getting these stats correct, but it was, I know it was over hundred press releases issued by the Bureau of Land Management, and they're picked up everywhere. And it's the same repetitive narrative that wild horses are overpopulated, they're starving, they're being rounded up for their own good, and that is false. And so over the years of filming wild horses across the American West, we were we were in 13 different states for the course of the film. Wild horses are in 10 Western states. We film numerous roundups where the narrative was always changing, where the Bureau of Land Management would say the horses are starving or we're rounding them up for future starvation, which doesn't make any sense to me. And then we're filming these horses and they're healthy and they're fat and they and there is grass and there is water. And then the agency will change its reasoning when they start getting caught in, in their lives. And I don't know how this federal agency has not, their hands haven't even been slapped. And so what we're trying to do with the film is to create Blackfisher the Cove for wild horses. We need a tipping point of awareness. We're trying to we're really trying to support a bill called the Wild Horse and Borough Protection Act which is HR 3656, if people want to call their members of Congress to ask this to be pushed forward, that bill would end the use of helicopters in the roundups, which I think is the first major step in setting a precedent to changing something in this antiquated, you know, activity. And um, and obviously, the the, the the long-term hope is that wild horses aren't rounded up at all. But I think the animal cruelty side of it in 2023 is so black and white and is easier for both sides of the aisle to understand. So that's what we're hoping, the film becomes a tool for awareness.
1: Did you mention something though, when we were talking at dinner that evening though, that oftentimes what they would do is move animals off that particular particular areas of land and then put either cattle back on it or, or sheep. And so, again, what what it sounds like more than anything is that there's a commercial aspect of it, which is move the horses off and then put some money making projects in there with horses, I mean, with cattle and with sheep. And, And to me, that, again, is just a flagrant misuse of funds. And where's that money going? Who's getting that money? Whose hands being, you know, where's the money to go going to who to keep things going in that direction? So I think the key is awareness and understanding that this is what's going on because you're right, those horses were absolutely gorgeous. I mean, you didn't see horses that looked, uh, you know, that they were starving, you didn't see unhealthy babies. What you saw were horses being herded that were absolutely beautiful. I mean, in fact, uh, I you know, I, I don't think the average person really realizes how absolutely beautiful wild horses are. And you know, for me, that was just that eye-opening experience. I know in here in California in Santa Barbara, there's a couple of uh, herds, and I've got pictures of them. Uh, the, there's a woman that paints, uh, but they have certain stallions, and they're trying to keep keep these uh, herds pristine. And so there are some areas that truly are, uh, what was the island that uh, Roberto talked about? Uh, Sable Island. It? What was it again? Sable Islands. Sable, Sable Island. There are places that truly are doing a fantastic job in understanding the beauty and the history and the, and the natural aspect of these wild horses that, that are absolutely beautiful. And like I said, it makes you angry, but it really, really is so important. And we're, you know, as I said, Southern California Equestrian Center. We're going to do what we can to continue to create that awareness. Uh, we're going to do a blog, but uh, we're going to put information on the website so people can go and learn more about it and how they can talk to their to their state representatives, uh, anybody that, that will listen to them. That this just has to stop. You know these kill pens, and I mean I don't think people understand what what goes on with horses. You know if you or I started to rescue a horse today and people found out about it, uh, you would have probably two or three calls a day from people wanting to relinquish horses or horses that have been left out to basically fend for themselves with no food, no water. I'm really kind of disappointed in a lot of people, the way they're, they handle their, uh, first of all, their understanding, but second of all, their, their care of, of the equestrian world. So I'm 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 right behind you. I'm just like I'm getting so fired up that I could just, you know, but uh, again, the most important thing is how can we help? How can we help? And this is the this is the call for action right now. What what can people do to help? absolutely and and both adults and children
2: can raise their voices we think it's extremely important for young people to join this fight children and teens so we are launching this fall an uh, awareness campaign where we're going to be asking people and people can start this right now calling their members of congress and asking them to support that bill hr 3656 it's the wild horse and burrow protection act you can go to either the wildbeautyfoundation.org or we have a standalone website called istandwithwildhorses.com. Takes two minutes of time. istandwithwildhorses.com. You can go to that webpage, input your zip code. Your representatives pop up right away. There's an automated message about the bill. You can change that, tweak that, write your own. But in two minutes, you can get a message to your representatives so that there's more awareness for wild horses and for that particular bill. And then for the people who who see the documentary and who want to share that, that's a great way to spread awareness because people will see what's going on. Even in the two minute trailer, they see what's going on. So please share our trailer to social media with the hashtag I stand with wild horses. And then later this year, in the fall, we're kicking off a letter-writing campaign with children, and we're trying to lift that up to be something that hopefully gets some national attention where kids, whether they're in school, whether they're, they gather at their barn with their friends, church groups, troops, and we want children over the, the month of October to be writing letters, handwritten letters to their members of Congress, and I think that those handwritten letters are something that are seen and felt so much more than an email, especially from kids. And when we were in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago, canvassing Congress, my husband and I visited every single office of the Senate personally over the course of about five and a, five hours, and we went into some of the, the senators where we know we've had children, or if I've gone into a school, we know that the, those offices have been sent letters. And we were in Senator Hickenlooper's office and his staff just lit up. And they said, we've seen the letters, we've read them, we log every single one. And that was just so impactful when you finally realize something that you're doing is is starting to work. And I think just getting, developing that and getting that into something that's a much bigger concentrated effort will force congress to pay attention
1: i know t shirts always do the trick. because we just did a a program through uh, the last Youth nationals and summer nationals in uh, oklahoma city and it's called are you okay but we did t-shirts mm-hmm. and basically it's about mental health for boys and girls and men and women it's about making sure people have a number to call if they need somebody to talk to and then it, and it, it went 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 so far so i you know, I mean, there's there's things that we can all do. And again, awareness is key. So, well, you already know that we're on top of this and we'll continue. I know you're gonna to talk to Melissa about a blog, but but just to, just to again, go back to who you are as a filmmaker, a wonderful, amazing filmmaker, writer, and uh, the, you're in the, going to remake *The City of Angels*, one of my favorite movies. I, I absolutely love that. But what do you What do you all What are you doing about the writer's strike? I was watching L.A. station this morning. They said it's over a hundred days that writers have been on on strike, and that it's now starting to affect a lot of the uh, entertainment industry because people aren't working. And like I said, I would like to do some film productions out here too, so we've got to get people back working and writers back on, on track again, but uh, what, what's that about for you? What, what are you all doing? What are you doing? What's your part in that? we're We're very fortunate in that I,
2: in in given that I'm a director, that the directors Guild was able to reach an agreement. and obviously they were fighting for different things, some different things than the writers and the actors. So we've been lucky that we're in post-production on the Lamb. But we, you know, it, it's this strike. Extends so far beyond just writers and actors. It's the grips. It's the electricians. It's our crew members.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We be, we become friends with our crew members, and we hire the same people, and uh, we're very. I mean, you so, see the credits at the end of a movie. There must yeah. be like three thousand or more. So yeah. all those people are being affected by the strike. So, yeah. well. So yeah. it's, I guess it's more, it's more about money and I hope, I hope it's resolved soon because we, we uh, Americans, especially we're hooked on our streaming. We're hooked on our films. I know I sure am. I mean, I don't go to bed at night unless I've watched a good movies. Now you're doing some amazing things. And again, how can they reach you? Learn more about everything that you're doing and what's most important to you. Thank you. People can follow us through the Wild Beauty Foundation. We're on all the
2: major social medias, primarily Instagram, Facebook, a little bit of Twitter. So Wild Beauty Foundation. And then if people want to follow me personally, it's just Ashley Avis on Facebook,
1: Instagram, and Twitter. Well, and if they want to learn more, they just go to our website. And and find out everything. So um Ashley, you know, again, whatever we can do to continue to build that awareness and, and help you create uh and of course it's you need money as well, don't you? Your foundation could definitely use more funding just to again create more uh, publicity and outreach and all the above. So yeah uh, little cash doesn't a little, <laughs> a little cash is good too. So send money, learn more, talk to your talk to your state uh, representatives and get the word out because if we all do something about it, we can solve this problem. So I agree. Congratulations. And I love your passion and and, uh, you and Ed, what you were doing. I mean, I I don't know that I could do that. I think because of my my complete passion for horses and uh, that I don't know how I would have handled that but we all need to know. And, and like I said, if you watch it, don't look away. So Ashley, thank you so much. Give, give Ed my big, a big hug for me and I us continue to do our, do the good work. Thank you, Dr. Nancy. If you enjoy these smart, amazing conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review them on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And read and enjoy more amazing stories in my books, In This Together, How Successful Women Support Each Other in Work and Life, and Leading Women, 20 Influential Women Share Their Secrets to Leadership, Business, and Life. Thank you for listening.